For most of us, one of the biggest challenges in life is learning how to manage our money in a responsible way. And as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, we also face an additional challenge, which is trying to manage our expenses and take care of our needs and still invest in the kingdom of God. And let's face it, that's not always easy to do. And so I'd like us to watch this video where we're going to see a person struggling with his spending priorities. Oh, I couldn't. Well, maybe just a bite. Forget the interest. Brought the pie. Dude, he brought the pie. <laughs> you know, in our modern world, there are so many things that we need and so many things that we want. And if we don't set some basic priorities, then like that person in the video we just saw, we're going to constantly struggle with how to properly divide up the pie. And we'll never be able to fully invest in the kingdom of God because there seldom is going to be anything left over for the Lord. 
And so as people of faith, it's really important for us to get this figured out. And the primary reason for figuring out financial giving is not primarily because the church needs money or other ministries need money. We need to do this for the sake of our own spiritual welfare. Book of Matthew chapter 6 verse 14, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Giving is a matter of the heart. Now, I've been in your position many times where I've been sitting in the congregation listening to someone preach about money, and on more than one occasion, I felt, ah, this preacher is just after my wallet. That's not my goal today. I'm not after your wallet. I'm not after your purse. What I want us to see is this. Our God is after our hearts. He's after our hearts. And when we let God get a hold of our heart, then we're going to find that there's a richness in giving, a richness that is so different and in so many ways superior to the richness of getting. My wife Julie and I learned that lesson the hard way and in the early years of our marriage we struggled to become givers but eventually we got there. And the Heavenly Father brought us to a point where we became people who gratefully, joyfully invest in God's kingdom. And we find real richness in giving money away. And so as we walk through the message this morning, here's my word to you. If your giving is erratic or non-existent, I do not want you to feel guilty. By the end of this message, I want you to feel hopeful. And I want to give you some steps that I believe will help you move forward in this important area of life. And if you're a faithful giver, then I commend you, and I hope that this message will encourage you to continue to be faithful. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26, God lays out some foundational principles that help us understand why it's so important to give financially. And we're going to review those principles, and then I'm going to describe how God used these principles to transform my wife and I from non-givers into faithful givers. And so we're going to start in verse 1, where we're going to see that giving is, at its core, an act of worship. We give to worship God. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and you have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all of the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. And you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there. Few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. 
And then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The nation of Israel is hearing these words from God after centuries of slavery. And as slaves, every major aspect of their lives have been managed by other people. And so now that they're free, they have absolutely no idea how to live together in an orderly society. There's no one they can turn to and say, how do we do this? (laughs) What kind of rules do we set? What kind of behavior do we encourage and discourage? They don't know any of that. And so they desperately need God's help to understand what is necessary for a healthy life, both individually and as a community. Because they've spent centuries living in survival mode. And God now wants to move them into flourishing mode. And so what we see in the first few books of the Old Testament is that God gives the Israelites civil and judicial and religious instructions to help them know how to order their society. He tells them things that many people would understand, but you wouldn't understand if you'd been a slave necessarily. He tells them don't murder and don't steal. He tells them to be faithful to their marriage partners and to place a high priority on family life. He describes the importance of the people coming together to worship and learning to live by faith. And in the midst of all of these instructions about how to flourish, that God says, as we just read, that he wants his children to regularly give away some of their material resources as an act of worship. And when we understand that broader context of these verses we just read, then it's very clear that financial giving is not some afterthought from God. He doesn't mention this as an accessory to life, but rather as a core element of a balanced life. Giving is essential for the spiritual well-being of individuals and the community. So God wants his children to experience the richness of giving. And as we give, we give to worship. So we honor God for who he is and what he has done for us. Now as we move forward, we need to understand something very important. Those instructions were binding upon Israel because they were part of God's law. They're not binding on us because we don't live under Old Testament law. Nevertheless, there are timeless principles in this passage that we can incorporate into our own lives. And the first principle that we learn is that giving should never be approached as a duty or an obligation, but as an act of thankful, grateful worship. Every material blessing we enjoy is from God because he brought the pie. And he asks us to trust him by taking some of what he's given to us and offering it back to him as an expression of our gratefulness. And so as we saw here in the passage, God even told the Israelites here, when you come to bring your offering, you know, here's the kind of things you say. Look at all the things I've done for you, Israel. Well, the things God has done for us are very different, but they're no less significant. 
as followers of Jesus, God brought us out of spiritual darkness and into the light of his love. He set us free from slavery to sin and he forgave us. God brought us into his family through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Talk about signs and wonders, holy smokes. Raising somebody from the dead. God did that for us. And we worship God by giving to acknowledge who he is and what he has done. And so what we're really giving him is our trust. And one great way to show our trust is by giving him some of our assets. Now, ancient Israel primarily was an agrarian society, and so as God describes the act of giving here, he does so in an agricultural way. He says, take some of the the fruit of the land. Make that your offering. And so Israelite farmers would literally do that. They'd take a portion of their crop, and they'd follow this command, and they'd put it in a basket, and they'd bring that basket into the temple. Yet we need to realize not every ancient Israelite was a farmer. Some people worked in shops and stores. They made their livings in other ways. So if you didn't farm... You weren't exempt. God wanted you to be a giver too. And so they would take money and bring their money to the temple and give it to God. And we find examples of monetary giving elsewhere in Scripture. And when they gave, how much did they give? Other Bible passages make it clear that the Israelite offering was to be a tithe. Tithe means tenth. So this means you're giving away 10% of your crops or your herd or your money. And that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot, which means it's a significant expression of trust in God and worship of God. And we honor God when he gets more than a pittance from us. And because God wanted to establish that giving was an act of worship, then whether the gift was money or goods, people would physically bring their offerings to the place of worship, to God's temple. That's obviously changed in our modern world, and people now give in all kinds of ways. And some of you do like to give when you come to church. That's why we have the offering boxes in back, and you can put your cash or your check in there. But we live in a digital world and some people give to the church through online banking and some use the church website and some use the church's digital app. There's all kinds of ways we can give. And here's the point. The method of giving is far less important than the attitude and purpose of giving. If we give our money grudgingly, or if we treat our gifts to God with the same attitude we have when we pay our utility bill, then we miss the point. Even if we give remotely, we can still give to worship. But here's an example of how someone can badly misunderstand this. I had a good friend in college, a guy who lived in my dorm, and he'd been raised in the church, but he'd kind of wandered away from the faith. And after graduation, he got a good job, and he did something really unusual. He found a church in the town where he was living, a church that he wasn't attending and had no plans to attend, and he started tithing to that church. And I said, Steve, what are you doing? And here's what he said. He said, I think someday I'm going to get back to church, and when I do, I don't want to owe God any back taxes. (laughs) Wow! That's really weird. But I wonder 
I, I wonder if maybe some Christians have a distorted view of God like that. A distorted view of God's expectations of us. Offerings are not taxes because we don't owe them. We offer them. And our experience of offering some of our money to God is going to be greatly enriched when we give with the attitude of grateful worship that's described here in this passage. And so verses 1 to 9 here in Deuteronomy 26 really give us the the purpose for financial giving. The purpose is to worship. And then verses 10 and 11 provide a summary of what's just been said, and it's here that we see the priority of giving. We give to God first. Let's continue on in verse 10. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite, and the sojourner who is among you. Now, if you're paying attention, giving to God first was mentioned back in verse 2, but to ensure that the people don't miss this vital point, it's emphasized again here in verse 10. God wants us to understand that giving is most meaningful when we choose to give to him first before we set aside anything for ourselves. And it's meaningful because it demonstrates a dramatic shift in our priorities. Him before me. And it's really meaningful because that's just not easy to do. God wants us to understand that we give to him first as a matter of priority because he deserves our best and not leftovers. And if we take the approach of giving God leftovers and spend money on other things first, then often there's nothing left over for God. And that's what we saw in the God's Pie video. Everything got portioned out and nothing was left for God. And so this is where we begin to see that God really is after our heart. God, you want me to give to you before I pay my mortgage or my rent? God, you want me to give to you before I fill the pantry with groceries? Yes, that's what God, God is asking of us because it's an expression of trust. And the more we learn to trust God, the more our faith will be enriched. Now, God is a loving Father, and he knows none of this is easy to do, and so he set a pattern here. He helped the Jews, our spiritual ancestors, toward that goal of giving to him first by having them give at certain times or seasons. And so the farmer, for example, when does he give? When he harvests his crop. And so then it, there's a regular rhythm to his giving, and then it becomes part of an ongoing cyclical spiritual practice. You and I can do the same thing. If we have income from a job or investments or social security or other sources, we can choose to give to God first when we receive that income, when the paycheck arrives. If we get paid and then give, then the financial rhythm of our life begins to change. And giving becomes an ongoing spiritual practice like prayer, Bible reading, worship 
And the more consistently we give, the more joyful it becomes, the more natural it becomes, and the richer it becomes. And the more satisfaction we find in investing in God's kingdom. When we choose to give to God first, that's when our hearts really begin to change because we're making a fundamental shift in our priorities. Now there's one final principle in this passage and it explains the attitude for giving which is generosity. God wants his people to generously care for others who have less. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, give it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I've removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I've given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. The wording here might be a little confusing to you, so let me explain what's going on. God established a basic offering for Israel, the tithe, the tithe on your income. And what he's describing here is another additional tithe, a tithe that was collected every three years for the priests and for needy people. Money's collected for the priest because when God brought the Israelites into the promised land and he divided up the land so that the people could farm and you know, raise their sheep and goats and things, he did not give any land to the Levites because they were to be the priests. And God did that for two reasons. He wanted the priests to focus completely exclusively on their spiritual responsibilities for the people without the distraction of other work. And God wanted the people to feel a sense of responsibility for supporting the priests who were guiding and directing their spiritual life as a community. So this every three-year offering, a portion of it went to support the religious community, the religious leaders. But then in addition, as we read, there's needy people that were in their midst. Widows. The fatherless, which means orphans. Sojourners, which means foreigners who were passing through their land. And travel in those days wasn't like it was, is today. And oftentimes people traveling wound up short of essentials. And so the Israelites were to be generous to people like this. And so above and beyond their regular tithing, God wanted his people to give even more in order to bless these other people who needed support. So, so this every three-year tithe didn't replace the annual tithe. It was in addition to another 10%. That's really generous. And what, what God is doing here, he's teaching his people to go beyond minimums. Not to say, okay, I gave that much to God. I've met my duty. That's enough. That's enough to keep God happy. Now I'll go do my thing. God wants us to value being generous. And when you and I open up our hands and we live generously with other people, we live generously with our money, oh, it helps those other people, but it also changes us for the better. 
And that's one of the reasons that our church has a partnership with Ridgeview Elementary School around the corner. If you get my weekly email, you know that we've been asked once again to help provide food for students who live on the margins. There are elementary school students who are living out of cars with their moms and dads. Other kids who can't count on meals on the weekends. And we help meet those needs. We help feed hungry kids by giving food. So there's collection bins out in the hallway on the way to the coffee shop there. There's a list on the wall of the things that you can contribute. And I hope when you shop, you'll buy something extra. Provide some of that food so we can bless these hungry kids. Here's what I want us to understand. When we do things like that, we're not just being kind. We are living out the very principles that God has established right here in the scriptures and Bible passages like this one. We are being generous as our Heavenly Father wants us to be. Giving some of what we have, taking some of our money, and blessing people who are less fortunate. I want to point out one other thing. In addition to the regular tithe, and then this extra tithe for the priests and the needy, the Old Testament describes other special offerings that the Israelites might pay at various times and seasons. And the result, I've added some of these up, and the result is that in many years, faithful Jews might be giving away as much as 30% of their income. Whoa, that's a lot. So the basic tithe, the tithe on income, was actually just the starting point, not the ending point. God wanted his people to hold their money and possessions loosely and to learn to be very, very generous. Now, as I said earlier, we don't live under the old covenant, so all that we've read is not binding on us as religious law. And so when I say, for example, that the faithful Jew might, under the law, be giving about as much as 30% in a given year, you might be saying to yourself, <laughs> I'm really glad we don't live under the law. And I'm glad we don't live under the law. I'm glad we live in the age of grace. Nevertheless, these principles that are here in this passage, these principles that God is giving us in his word, that we give to worship, we give to God first. We give to be generous. Those things transcend the law and help us understand how to give. And when we embrace these principles, then giving moves beyond a duty and it becomes a purpose-filled part of our lives. It cultivates within us a new attitude about money and material things. And when we learn to give money away, as God asks, I've learned that over time we actually become a whole lot less anxious about our finances because we're trusting God. And so giving truly is a foundational spiritual practice. And yet the reality is many believers find it one of the most difficult spiritual practices to learn. I think there's a couple reasons why. One is that if we're honest, at times we're prideful about our earnings and we're prideful about the stuff that money buys. And so it's hard to give it away. And then giving requires us to humble ourselves and trust God more than our assets. 
As I mentioned earlier, for Julie and I, embracing the spiritual practice of giving was not easy. We got married right after college, and I went into business, and Julie became a teacher, and for the first time in our lives, we had real money. And oh, did we enjoy spending it. We had college loans to pay off, and then we learned the magic of credit cards. (laughs) And we found it really easy to get credit cards, and we used them aggressively. Two young people, no kids, and we spent lots of money on things and lots of money on experiences, like eating out all the time. And we burned through our money and we added more and more to our debt load. And eventually things got really tight. And rarely was there anything left over to give to God. God gave us the pie, but we weren't sharing. And yet we weren't content to stay like that because we knew from reading the scriptures that giving was this vital spiritual practice and we needed to get a handle on it and we knew that if we didn't learn to submit our finances to God, we were going to miss out on so much good stuff that he had in store for us. We wanted God to be our treasure, not our stuff. We wanted God to have all of our hearts. And yet we knew we couldn't just start out by tithing. There wasn't room in the budget. How could we get started? So we decided to start very simply by embracing two of the principles that are laid out here in Deuteronomy 26. We decided we're going to give to God first to make him a priority, and we're going to establish a pattern of consistent and faithful giving. And each time we give, we're going to give as an act of worship. And we said we need to position ourselves for success. And so we chose an extremely small amount to give. Five bucks a week. It wasn't much, but it was a start. We knew we could afford that. We knew we could give it consistently. So at that time, I got paid every Friday. So every Saturday, I went and cashed five dollars. On Sunday, we put it in the offering at church. We did that every week. Pretty soon, we felt like we were starting to establish a spiritual rhythm. Get paid. Cash the money. Pray and thank God for what he's given us. Pray and say thank you God for the opportunity to give to you and then give the money to church. Get paid, cash the money, pray and thank God, put the money in the offering. There's a pattern to that. And we did that every week without fail for three months. And at the end of of those three months, we felt like we were spiritual giants. Because we'd given God five bucks a week for three months. (laughs) But you see, for the first time in our lives, we actually were regularly giving to God. And this was a huge breakthrough for us. And yes, the amount was tiny, but we were beginning to live out biblical truth, biblical foundational spiritual principles. We were giving to worship. We were giving to God first. We were making giving a rhythm in our lives. And even with that little tiny amount, our attitude about giving was beginning to change. And I got so excited, I said to Julie, let's double our giving. (laughs) So we bumped it from five bucks a week to 10 bucks a week. 
And we did that, and a few weeks later, we bumped it to $15 a week. Now, now remember, at this time, we were heavily in debt. We didn't have a lot of extra money. And as every few weeks, we slowly ratcheted up our giving, we had to really evaluate and prioritize our other expenses. We had to do a much better job of differentiating between wants and needs. And so incrementally increasing our giving helped us learn over time how to live within our means. God used that process to help us become better financial stewards of what he was giving us. And we reached the point where we were giving 5% of our pay and we kept on and every few months we kept increasing our giving a little bit until eventually we were giving a tithe, 10%. And by that time our debt was gone and we were in much better financial shape and then we were able to start participating in special offerings at our church above and beyond our tithe. The kind of thing that's talked about here in Deuteronomy and other passages, extra tithes, extra offerings, extra gifts. And for us, the tithe became not a maximum, but a minimum, as God prompted us to be generous beyond that basic amount. And then God threw us a curveball, because he moved me out of business, and he moved Julie out of teaching, and he called us into ministry. Now, if you know anything about how compensation works, Ministry does not pay nearly as well as the marketplace. My first year in ministry, our family income dropped by 50%. By this time, though, regular giving was such a part of our lives, we just continued on. We could not imagine life without giving to God. And so we told the Lord, we said, we don't don't know how we're going to navigate this, God, but this is your call. And you are faithful, so we're just going to open up our hands. We're going to continue to give faithfully, and we're going to trust you to meet our needs. And he has done that faithfully for all the years we've been in ministry. Now, unless you happen to be incredibly wealthy, consistent giving at times involves some significant trade-offs. To invest in the kingdom of God means at times there's things we're going to do without. And what Julie and I have learned, though, is that the joy and satisfaction of giving to God supersedes the temporary joy of money and stuff. We love investing in God's kingdom as an expression of our thanks and our trust. We love giving our tithes and offerings to this church knowing that we're investing in ministry that supports all of us in the life of faith and helps our church make a difference in the lives of other people locally and regionally and globally. For Julie and I, this transition from non-givers to givers took a few years, but God brought us through. And I've shared our story in hopes that it will encourage you. If you're not giving or struggling to give regularly, perhaps some of the steps we took might be ones you could try. They might help you have a breakthrough like we experienced. Because God wants each of his children to experience the richness that comes from being a consistent giver. 
And as we see here in Deuteronomy, giving really is about our own journey of faith. It's about our commitment to God, our commitment to each other, and our commitment to the community around us. It's a matter of the heart. And that's why we give to worship our great God. We give to God first. We give to be generous to others. And when we give according to those principles, we will find that there is great richness in giving. And we're going to find new energy and excitement and anticipation in our lives as we watch to see what God will do with our spiritual investments. And here's what's really profound. As we loosen our grip on our money, God will tighten his grip on us because we are giving him ever more of our hearts. And above all things, that's what God wants. Our hearts. As Jesus said, where our treasure is, that's where our heart will also be. So here's the questions I want to leave you with. Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're all at different places financially and some of us have a little and some of us have a lot. Whatever we have though, it all comes from you. And help each of us to prayerfully discern what we can give and what you want us to give. And help us all to grow in the grace of giving and to become ever more generous, to not be tight-fisted. Because of what we've seen in the scriptures today, help us to develop a new understanding of how we can give, to give with great joy, to give with an attitude of thanks, to make giving an act of worship as we honor you for who you are and what you continually do for us. Thank you for blessing us with what we have. Teach us how to share it. In Jesus' name, amen.